cult mother has always almost been a protection. It's uh, it's the Ziggy Stardust to my David Bowie. Mm. You know, no, it was this idea of like wanting to move into a certain space, an industry, whatever you want to call it, but wanting to be disruptive, wanting to do something different, wanting to bring an entirely new experience. Um, a little, there's a little bit of performance to it. There's a little bit of character to it. There's a little bit of, you know, but the line gets really blurred. Um, and and that's, that's the question I'm asking myself at the moment. Listening to Conversations for the Mystically Curious, a podcast brought to you by Kismet Berlin. On our show, we will interview creators, makers, and just generally inspiring people working in the realms of esoteric spirituality, science, and the arts. So I'm back after a bit of a podcast hiatus, but this time on my own. There's been a lot of changes for Kismet since we recorded last season's podcasts. Kate has opened a new chapter of her life and for her family by permanently relocating to San Francisco. And on my side, things are finally looking more optimistic as COVID has subsided in Germany and restrictions have been almost completely lifted. I have also found a shop in Friedrichshain so Kismet can finally have a physical home and evolve into what it was always intended to be, a spiritual gathering place for mystically curious individuals. Currently, the space is being renovated, but I'm hoping we can open in July this year. So yeah, a lot of change. And what better way to introduce the guest of this episode? Hannah Graves, a.k.a. Cult Mother Tarot. If I had the musical rights, I would cue the song Changes by David Bowie, so try to hum the tune in your head to set the mood. I have to credit Hannah as actually helping me get over my fear of continuing this podcast and doing it alone. When I found out she was soon leaving Berlin, I thought, it's now or never that I interview her. She is a Berlin icon and a rebel with a cause, drawing in everyone who comes across her. She likes to defy the rules when it comes to people's preconceived notions about esoterica and the occult. But what has always impressed me about Hannah slash cult mother the most is her simultaneous humor and gravitas when it comes to everything from politics to music to marketing. She is able to be a harbinger of change, but also analyze why change makes her feel uncomfortable. In this episode, we talk about what to do when the universe slaps you in the face, Hannah's journey into becoming the leader of her own cult, the problematic relationship between the esoteric community and Instagram, and how leaving Berlin was like breaking up with a lover. I hope you enjoy this interview with her as much as I did giving it. Well, hi, Hannah. I'm so excited (laughs) to actually speak to you in person for the first time because I've seen all your lives and stuff on Instagram. I've read articles about you. I've followed your account, but this is like actually the first time we, we get to meet. <laughs> yeah, in, in person is rare. It's still via the miracle of technology, <laughs> but yeah, it's nice to talk to you too. Um, yeah, there's, I, there's so much ground to cover and I know we have a limited time, but um, you're, I first want to know a bit more about your background, because I know that before you came to be cult mother, that you actually had, uh, you know, quite a lot of experience and wore quite a lot of hats in your past. So if you could just tell, tell us a bit more about maybe some of the notable projects or things that you've done uh, leading up to this. Um, I think anything that anyone is ever doing is only ever leading up 
to the next phase or the next chapter. I think one of the mistakes that we make is this idea that we're supposed to do or master one thing and then be it and do it forever. Um, but yeah, I've definitely got like what I would call like a varied background career-wise, if you look at my CV. <laughs> um, I didn't go to university, uh, even though I probably should have done, because uh, I got interested in uh, boys' bands and beers. And <laughs> then I... The three Bs. The three Bs, classic. Uh, you know, I was really into punk rock and uh, I I got started working in retail just to kind of like fund my lifestyle. Um, I've run pubs, uh, soap shops, skateboard shops. Um, I became a body piercer, which is how I ended up moving to Berlin in 2012 to work at AKA, the tattoo studio and art gallery here which I know you know, uh, and I was obviously there for five years, very much wearing many hats, even under that one uh, place of kind of being. Uh, then I went and worked at a startup and was running marketing in a tech company for wow, a couple of years. Uh, that was a shift. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I did. I mean, everything I've always done has always been, it involves people. Yeah, I was just going to um, say, everything sounds very public facing. Yeah. Yeah, it's always that idea of like uh, public facing in some capacity and then usually more on the kind of like marketing branding end of things as well, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of different hats. <laughs> so how how did you first get into tarot? Like, was this something that you were already into when you were younger? Was this more of a, uh, you know, a development no. as an adult? Not at all. The story of how I got into Taro is uh, suitably spooky. And I promise that I am no way, in no way embellishing this. It really went down uh, as weird as the story I'm about to tell you. So I didn't actually get into Taro until like not that long ago, only like five years ago. I'd even hosted art exhibitions and things at AKA, which would have featured artwork from the major arcana. And I, I was like, oh, it's that Taro thing, like whatever, really wasn't <laughs> interested. Um, and then uh, early 2017, I was out walking one morning, uh, not having a great time, let's put it that way. And someone had tied an old Christmas tree to the side, this fence on the side of the canal and covered it in luggage tags. And then attached it to a telephone and the telephone had call the universe written on it. And if you turned, if you turned over these different luggage tags, it would say things like, you know, go to the gym or call your mom. And so I looked at the tree and I looked at the telephone and I looked back at the tree and I turned over one of these tags and it said, get sober. And obviously mm. the hardest, most difficult challenge of my life at that time was trying to get sober and stay sober. So I was like, right, that is one sassy tree. <laughs> yeah, it's very Berlin too. I feel like that's very a, Berlin. a Berlin yeah. sign. Of course, people people making art out of discarded Christmas trees in January is definitely peak Berlin. Um, and then my dog at the time was snuffling around in the dirt and found a card. And I was like, oh, wow, look, no. a card, a tarot card. What is this tarot card? The hero fan? What is that? Oh my and I gosh. Yeah, I remember Googling it and uh, obviously looking up that we've got themes of where we fit in and why and what it means to kind of be true to yourself or how it is that we come to question what it is we've maybe been indoctrinated into. And I was like, well, that really fits with some of what I'm wrestling with internally today. Didn't really think anything more of it until I left the house about two weeks later. Um, not again, not having a great time. And I rounded a corner in my neighborhood and there was like a paste up of the page of swords 
from the Rider Waite Smith. And I was like, that I think is one of those tarot card things. Again, what, what tarot card is that? So again, I kind of Googled page of swords and read the meaning and that in times of adversity, we can persist and persevere and it will get better. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't even just sound like a sign from the universe. It almost sounds like a slap in the face from the universe. Yeah, that's that's how it works for me. I don't, I don't really need to ask for signing your signs. Uh, the end of that year, I was in a secondhand bookshop uh, in the town close to where I grew up in the UK. Because I went home uh, over New Year because I was like, I don't want to try and stay sober in Berlin over New Year, like Mm. that one year anniversary. (laughs) And someone had pulled a book out from the shelf and the Four of Wands was stuck to the cover. Obviously, the Four of Wands being our anniversaries card, uh, uh... important threshold to cross, you know, so I really I kind of have my past, present, future reading through found cards in the wild in 2017 you know going from questioning where I fit in and why the adversity the kind of like mental struggle of kind of being and staying sober and then reaching that first milestone anniversary in the four of wands so yeah I've got a really good (laughs) how did you get into Taro's story because after that page of one page of uh, swords moment I was like maybe I should just get some of these cards and start randomly Googling their meanings. Cause it seems to give me something to hold on to in the day that I'm in. And it really just went from there. Yeah. That's an incredible origin story because that is a <laughs> question that I've asked a lot of people in the past. And normally like, you know, sometimes there are interesting things that occur, you know, that kind of nudge people in that direction. But uh, yeah, that was sort of like yeah, tarot was lit up in big, gold neon letters for you yeah it's definitely one of those things where people are like how did you find it and I'm like no no it found me like yeah. <laughs> inarguably it absolutely found me so okay so it's one thing to practice the tarot for yourself obviously mm-hmm. but then how did you transition or like what happened that one day you're like I think I can do this professionally and actually make this a big part of my life It was kind of a really slow uh, transition, I think, in the fact that I had to deal with an awful lot of internalized bullshit, which I still see perpetuated in the kind of woo sphere um, quite often. Mm -hmm. I worked with Taro for myself and I found it immensely beneficial. And then there came a point where I wanted to be able to read Taro for friends and people who were important to me because of how beneficial I felt it could be. And when I could actually see that, working see that process be in that process with people I was like wow I'd love to offer readings but I was uh telling myself that story that you aren't allowed to monetize these gifts you know Mm. um I was like I've even I've been known to say in the past I would never want to make money off of reading tarot um And so first I had to reconcile the fact that that is just inherently some capitalist patriarchal nonsense that you know we're supposed Mm, to especially as women be providing uh holding space doing emotional labor uh training practicing investing uh, and that the only uh gratification for want of a better word we should take from it is purely the fact that uh we are we're able to do that and it should just make us feel good about ourselves and that should really be it so I had to break down a lot of my own internalized kind of stories um to come to a point where I was like I could charge people money and make a business out of this yeah Um, yeah I I feel this is a real struggle uh yeah for notably women especially people in kind of more 
um, like services that are, you know, whether they're esoteric or spiritual or healing. Like I've had the same discussion with friends who do breath work or mm-hmm. astrology mm-hmm. or uh, Reiki. I mean, they all have had the same struggles of like, how do I charge for my work? Should I charge? You know, I mean, I really yeah. do think it's a, a problem that we're still coming to terms with. Totally. And, I, you know, it's with the individual and what they do and do not feel comfortable with. But the idea that uh, spiritual practices can exist solely separate of capitalism, I do feel is a bit of a fallacy. <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I think you have to I think you have to participate in something to actively challenge it or start to rebuild it in a way that, you know, you feel fits better or, you know, it's like accessibility is a really big conversation. I think it's super important making sure that if you feel that you're providing something that is useful or helpful or can aid or guide people there are ways to create accessibility without putting yourself in a position where you can't afford to be offering you know that service full stop because you don't have time because you're busy holding down some other job somewhere else that you don't even really want to (laughs) do yeah yeah and also you just can't even show up mentally for somebody or you know spiritually or mentally if you yourself don't feel like you're valued or you're no you can't meet your needs you have to meet your needs first right so this martyrdom that we see perpetuated and the fact that i'm out here doing it for free therefore it's more inherently spiritual than you because you charge i'm like (laughs) really really wow Uh, that's a really interesting conversation and I could really spend a lot of time talking about that but I would really ask people that kind of take that perspective to unpack where it is that that story comes from um, and why it is they feel that they don't deserve to be fairly compensated for the work that they're they're doing. Well I think another thing is you're really adept at drawing people in and I guess that makes sense again from what you said about your background I think that you're obviously really well versed in how to communicate and deal with people Mm. Um, so yeah, so social media is, I guess, your main platform to do so. And I feel it's like really honest and authentic. Um, but one of my favorite things is when you get on one of your videos and you say, hello, it's your cult mother. <laughs> hello. How, I mean, it's so iconic. I mean, how did <laughs> thank you, you. So how did you come up with the persona of <sighs> cult mother and the cult? It's really interesting that we're talking about this today. Cause I'm really, really in the midst of meditating on this and what it means the relationship that I have with this kind of persona alter ego or character like I, I literally disabled my Instagram yesterday like I'm really walking through it so but let's let's mm. I cult mother has always almost been a protection you know it's uh, it's the Ziggy Stardust to my David Bowie mm. nice right it's it's this <laughs> yeah and it's only one that I've really pinned down today so you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> where I was like what is you know no it was this idea of like wanting to move into a certain space an industry whatever you want to call it but wanting to be disruptive wanting to do something different wanting to bring an entirely new experience um a li- there's a little bit of performance to it there's a little bit of character to it there's a little bit of you know but the line gets really blurred um and and that's that's the question I'm asking myself at the moment is you know how much of Hannah Joy Graves is there in what I do and how much of cult mother is there in what I do where does where does that persona begin and end and where do I kind of begin and end but I've always seen cult mother as a way of me sort of personifying what it is that I feel I work with or that works through me in the work that I do Mm. it's about me acknowledging that it isn't me because it's a way of like relieving the pressure I would otherwise put on myself to have to deliver a reading or a message to someone so it's kind of like 
Uh, it's a, I guess cult mother is kind of a very cool alter ego for me. Someone that's easy for me to show up in and as. Right. But did you choose that name or did someone call you that one day and you're like, ooh, that fits or something? I'm someone, just curious. Like, cause... Someone did call me that one day. Uh, it was a joke uh, about <laughs> me, about me assuming cer- a certain kind of like matriarchal role in our community and our friend group. And I was like, yeah, that sounds really cool though. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> and also yeah, you know feeling yeah like cult mothers as well like you, you we've got you know uh cults and there is usually a figure within the cult who is assuming the matriarchal archetype and who is responsible for kind of taking care of maintaining and looking after new initiates um and obviously when we think of cults we think of things that are very damaging we think of brainwashing and the fact that people might lose their autonomy and I was like yeah but the thing that's always been fascinating to me about cults is that it's people who are seeking. It's always people who are looking right. for some sort of knowledge, lifestyle, information outside of the norm, who have questions. And obviously that can make people really susceptible and really vulnerable. And that's the thing that yeah. we usually think of with cults. But we so happily and so readily give cult status to other very normal everyday things. Look at celebrities. Yeah, you know? for sure. Like we're going to talk about Heaven's Gate and everyone's <laughs> upset, but then we we look at Kim Kardashian and nobody seems to have any kind of a problem or an issue with the cult of Kardashian. So that right, was always right. interesting to me and something I kind of wanted to riff on a little bit as well. Well, it almost seems by slightly making it like ironic in a way, because I think mm. that a lot of people that follow you know you know that there is this bit of irony that it, totally. it almost sort of serves this double purpose, you know, it's like, but they still want to be part of the cult at the same time. Yeah. That's it's, it is, it, it, it was all very deliberate and not, you know, like the, uh, are you ready to join the cult is a line that I had before I actually started the online community. I did not know at that point that I would have the cult and it have a home Mm. online and people would literally be paid up members of the cult. I just thought you ready to join the cult made it sound like something bigger and more expansive than just me. Um, It made it like a moment, it made it like a movement or a mission, which was kind of exciting to me, you know? Yeah, for sure. Could, so could you actually describe some of the activities of the cult? Like what goes on in your, yes. your sessions? and Totally. I mean, this is, it's been such a great thing for me and all credit to the cult because it's not a house I built myself. Um, my primary motivation was the fact that Instagram is the devil. <laughs> it is a fear machine fed by time and it will drain all of the creativity, imagination out of your business faster than you can say Mark Zuckerberg. Right. Um, so <laughs> I was like, let's, I want a way to put the people who are actually engaged with what I do and genuinely want to see and support what I do somewhere else. Because I don't want to just be spraying my energy all over the show. Um, so I created a Patreon and the cult Patreon in a way, in an effort really to be able to see and know where my kind of like true fans were. It's an old like mm. branding adage. We say if you, you can have your first 100 true fans, then you've completely mm. nailed it. As soon as you oh, have 100 okay. true fans and you know them, you know them by name, you know who they are, you know what they're interested in. That's that's when you have established yourself as kind of a brand um so I was like let's let's put people somewhere where I can interact with them more directly I can you know interact with them outside of Instagram and then it just grew from there (laughs) 
And I think one of the main attractions for people is that I offer, I, I, inv- I offer deep dive. So I go into tarot cards with like from a very occult symbolism perspective. Um, I'm going to tell you why the high priestess in the Rider Waite Smith sits on a cube and what the numerical significance of the expression of a cube is, you know, like it's next level tarot nerd territory. Um, and a lot mm. of people are here for that. Um, but I also invite guest practitioners every month to teach a class or a workshop. Um, and usually my motivation there is it's something outside of my wheelhouse that I want to learn about. Right. Um, you know, so we've had herbalism, moon magic, uh, yoga, uh, sigils, sigil magic mm. is one of my favorites. I've invited people like old ways. Uh, I've recent, recently had a uh, Leticia cartomancy from morbid anatomy uh michelle t like you know people from within Mm. my community that i absolutely idolize and adore because their work is so great and i'll do q a's with them but then yeah it it makes it like kind of a little bit of an internet one-stop shop for anything that will fall under that massive umbrella that we use these days which you know Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it also sounds like there's a, a very much like a educational and communal component. It's Hopefully, not just yeah. like, let me, let me just teach you tarot 101 and mm-hmm. like, you know, with the same old basic tropes, but like kind of let's open the dialogue up to all sorts of new ways of looking at it. I mean, it feels very more modern to me, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I always just, I'm a bit of a disruptor. I like to shake things up a little bit. Um, but the cult has given me the opportunity to learn alongside people that's what we do and that then again comes the irony of cult mother as much as I'm like this is my cult this is not a coven like fall in because you know who's in charge like there's definitely a little bit of that that's necessary I think in in that community um their memberships basically facilitate me being able to have my nose in dusty older cult books all day long growing in my own practice and there's a mutual kind of benefit to that for us yeah that's no me. I mean that sounds amazing <laughs> I, lo- I love them I literally I love them I literally, like I can't words cannot express the gratitude because obviously the reality of it is as well that freelance life is tough um yeah. and we have different things happen and uh, I can have a month where I'm super super busy and everybody wants a tarot reading and times when that isn't the case but having a patreon and having a membership based platform means that I've got uh, amount of kind of revenue on a monthly basis that I know is there yeah. uh, that covers my bases and it takes all of the immediate kind of heat and the pressure off for me so mm. um, it's a it's a much nicer way of going about business at the moment for me for sure well it's funny what you're describing to me also reminds me a bit of like uh, you know in New York like in the houses like you know voguing and dance houses yes. in New York with them I mean I'd actually more say this like what the dynamic that you're describing is more akin to that strangely <laughs> and I'm really so like I I you you can't see this while you hear this but I'm beaming like an idiot now because I'm so glad that you see that and get that because I love it and that really cult mother let's say drag mother let's let anybody <laughs> who feels that they don't fit come and be a part of that space and contribute their own magic and feel seen and uplifted and held in the authenticity of who they are. Yes. Like love it. Definitely. Uh, something that <laughs> I've seen parallels. I don't know if they were deliberate or not. And been like, that's, that's something that I want to get to continue to be a part of. Yeah. 
I mean, I think why is because there's like humility and generosity in it. And that's what like mm. house mothers were all about, you know, mm. in New York is that they were there to take in other people that truly, you know, needed some sort of, you know, they were going through difficulties in their lives and then and they needed somebody to support them. And often the house mothers themselves, they had either gone through that and they also were learning with their children. So yeah, that's why th- that reminded me of it. <laughs> all of the above. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to get you all. No, I love it. No, I love it. I absolutely love it. No, it's great because it's validating, you know, like it, it, it's really easy sometimes. And like I said, this is a lot of what I've been going through this week to wander around inside a persona, to, th- to only be thinking about how you show up online, to be thinking about your bottom line and just trying to come back to the purity of the purpose and what it is mm. that I wanted to set out to kind of do and achieve with my work is it's really nice to have an opportunity to do that and be grateful for it, yeah. to be honest. So I'm going to fast forward to this other question I had that because you just reminded me what you were saying about <laughs> Instagram and Mark Zuckerberg is a source of all evil. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so I'm just going to lay it out there because I think there's obviously a lot of people in the esoteric metaphysical community that are aware, but uh, for those that aren't aware, there's been a major problem as of late uh, where, especially on Instagram, there are poster, imposter accounts that are targeting notably tar- tarot readers and astrologers. And um, they're like these spam accounts and they're really sneaky because not only do they replicate images and even captions of the actual account, but then they reach out to people offering readings and then they steal their money. Yeah. So I know this has been something that's deeply affected you and your business and that you've mm-hmm. actually been very outspoken about. So could you tell us a bit more like from your personal perspective about this? Yeah, it's an absolute nightmare. Um, and they are convincing. They can even clone stories now. So when you go to the stories to have a look, to see if it's that person, you'll see that person speaking. And uh, what you want to watch out for, obviously, is that the handle is going to have very subtle variations. So obviously, I'm Cult Mother Taro, and I've had a clone, which was Cult Mother Taro underscore. Then you have Cult Mother Taro one. At the moment, my nemesis is Cult Mother's taro um so just you know and it's 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 upsetting because unfortunately you know going through and following your followers and reaching out via dm and saying would you like a reading and then getting people to paypal you is actually clearly working for these people otherwise they wouldn't do it um and yeah it's obviously creating a lot of disruption Uh, one of the most difficult aspects to deal with is the fact that everybody wants to help So anytime one of these accounts pops up or they get a follow or a message from one of these accounts, they're going to want to screenshot it and send it to you, which means I can get, I can get like 50 DMS a day from very well-meaning people wanting to alert me to the same thing. And I'm like, you'll see it. You see the varying uh, degrees of frustration across different practitioners. Like some people like, thanks for letting me know, but, and people that are like, do not DM me about this again. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Uh, because it, it all that happens in this cycle of scam accounts is all of the frustration starts to get misdirected. It starts going in the wrong places. I get annoyed at people for DMing me about the scammer instead of the scammer. And what happened yesterday, this is very immediate, is I completely lost my shit. And this is it, this is what directly led to me having to disable Instagram because a bunch of people got together to stand against the scam. A lot of people jumped on it really quickly, but I, if you get into what it was that they were actually asking for, the suggestion was we've got a petition 
to Instagram where we want everyone to sign the petition. And it's not, the framework wasn't just, we need you to do something about this because we know we need them to do something about this, but it was let, why don't you give us some sort of framework in order to be validated as legitimate businesses. And so the reason I sort of went off my axis a little bit and needed to withdraw and take a bit of time is because the day that we band together in order to demand that we are legitimized by the mainstream and are given a stamp of approval by the standards of tech bros is the day that mm. I quit. Like I'm done. I'm out. Right. 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 Me and my work is about dismantling the fucking system, not trying to show up in it in a way that means <laughs> that, you know, I, I you talk, when we use terms like legitimate and validated and it within this community and within this kind of work, it can become very, very difficult very quickly. I think it's problematic. So my business is registered. I pay tax. I could provide X number of bits of paperwork to the Instagram overlords if that yeah. was the, the direction that we want to go in. But what about the people who can't? It doesn't mean their work is any less valid too. We're not entitled to anything. It's a social yeah. media platform. Like have a day off. Like the entitlement uh, as well. Like the bang, the drum banging in terms of what are you doing to protect us? They're not going to do anything to protect us. When was anybody ever done anything to protect witches that are out here trying to like <laughs> wake people and heal people and instigate real change? Like you're going to the enemy and asking for approval. Like, well, just... although I did read that the Scottish Parliament is trying to uh, basically uh, get some sort of memorial or protection for like witches. That are there's a pardon. The yeah, there's a pardon yeah. that's been passed now. Like I just, it's just something didn't sit but right I, with me. Yeah. And it is this whole thing of like, uh, because we are suffering with the scammers, we're going to the system and saying, hey, we need to be a part of this in order to protect, you need to protect us. And I'm like, I think we have to take the lead from sex workers a little bit and people that are very used to working outside of capitalism and on the fridges, we protect ourselves. You know, like we form our own rules. We start, you know, like you don't go to fucking Instagram and give them a list of practitioners because the problem with that is they don't want us on the platform if they wanted to shut down scam accounts they could run a script and do it in a heartbeat mm -hmm. i have got a sneaky suspicion and i hope i'm just an awful the conspiracy theorist that they <laughs> will use this activity later down the line as justification as to why service providers cannot offer services on instagram They've already taken our ad tags away. You can't use tags like witchcraft or astrology anymore, even though we pay ad revenue because they don't want our ad revenue. You can't, because there isn't a framework the same way there is with product for services, especially internationally, they just don't want service providers because of regulation. It's too difficult for them to regulate. I can't set up a shop on Instagram or Facebook marketplace. Right. I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're not f selling a, a tangible product. No. They can't, they can't pro profit off of it basically. Yes. It's the only way for them to really regulate it or deal with it in line with their plans to be able to properly monetize the platform they've been building for the last 10 plus years. Um, yeah. Okay. So you went offline. Maybe it's just temporary. I don't know, but what do you think a possible solution is, or even is there one? I just, the thing I would say to anyone who, you know, is in this kind of work 
is that pay to play is very real. No one's getting a free ride on Instagram anymore. They're going to be rolling out subscriptions, which is going to look very similar to like a Patreon style membership, where if you're an influencer, people are going to be paying to see certain content that won't be available to everyone else, et cetera, et cetera. It's already happening. Um, Just get your business in order. Like if you feel your business fails to exist the day your Instagram account does, you don't have a business. You have an Instagram account. Right. Like that's and that's why everyone's actually got their knickers in such a twist and are so upset because this issue has just highlighted how fallible a lot of our businesses are when other people pop up and are pretending to be us. We're kind of like, ah, because it all exists and it all happens on Instagram. Um, So sort out your mailing list, sort out your communication points other than your Instagram. Make sure your website and your SEO optimization is very good. You know, like. Because it's happening. So the key takeaway is basically wean yourself off of Instagram yes. <laughs> as a business. Yes, totally, totally. We've known it. We've known it actually for years, I think. And, but we're really starting to feel the the pinch now. Because mm. can you imagine the amount of people? If I said, "What would you do if tomorrow your Instagram was shut down?" That would have like a complete oh, exis- yeah. mass a panic crisis, mass panic. <laughs> Um, but I think the, the benefit to that long term is it does put us back in our immediate communities. It puts us back in the, you know, how much value is there in what I do rather than what I have learned to say about it on the Internet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Um, well, I guess continuing down this more political path. Um, mm. A few weeks ago, you and I had a bit of an exchange of messages about how to be a small business in the midst of a crisis. So yeah, right now, the current crisis is the war in Ukraine, you know, but this could also have applied to when, you know, COVID started uh, two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember you said something on your Instagram, I think in one of your stories, how it was, how it was better to show up awkwardly or something than not show up at all. Mm. Uh, which I, which really resonated with me. I, I thought that was really nice, but I don't know what advice. I mean, it is such a, a tricky thing. It's a, it's a balancing act, but what advice would you give to a freelancer or a small business that's trying to navigate such nif- difficult times? Read the room. <laughs> Just read the room. It's, you know, I think sometimes when we are on social media, we're so concerned with what we're putting out there and how it is it's received that we forget that we're also there receiving information. And so we can gain an awful lot in terms of the just general tone. And and these, you know, as you've said, you know, the breakout of war in Ukraine is another fantastic example of when people's attention turns collectively to where, in my opinion, it's exactly where it should be everyone that's what everyone should be talking about and what everybody should be platforming and we should rightly so kind of tap people on the shoulder when they've not read the room (laughs) Mm -hmm. and kind of got it wrong in terms of going look at this thing that I'm doing and people's like nobody cares right now the the problem with that is it's it's hugely frustrating and upsetting for people that are like I was in the middle of a launch I was literally this month my business was completely depending on being able to talk about this one thing all of the time and now I feel I can't do that then you're going to have to, when you, when you read the room, sometimes you have to get creative. Uh, You need to know when to pivot and go, okay, I'm reading the room and I'm feeling like maybe it's not entirely appropriate for me to go guns blazing with this product launch or this one particular uh, aspect of my business right now. Uh, What can I do? How can I adapt? How can I, and you know, that's when I say it's better to show up awkwardly than not at all. I do think there is a kind of middle ground where we can say, 
Um, I watched somebody do it masterfully, actually, where they started all of their captions with this might not be interesting to you right now. And that would be completely <laughs> fair enough. Um, but I still need to talk about it. So read on if you want to sort of thing and really making an obvious point out of the position. Like that they, yeah, that they felt they were in. Um, and so I think that's what we need to be able to do uh, a little bit. It's a, it's a really, really tricky thing. It's very nuanced, but ultimately it always comes down to one question. Are you running your business intuitively or not? Hmm. And we can't always trust the intuition and sometimes we're going to get it wrong. Right. But especially in the nature of the kind of work uh, that I do, I have to trust my shower thinking. Uh, that's what I call it where my head, uh, which is, yeah, it's my, it's my water element shower thinking. It's that time where you're allowing things to swim around and percolate a little bit. Um, Mm. and you kind of have to, if you get into the fear-based, Oh God, what am I going to do? This is all terrible. You know, we get into the head and we get stuck into the deciding and it all becomes a bit rigid and inflexible. You have to kind of try and take a breath and step away from it for a minute and go, hmm, what intuitive wisdom is there floating around right now? And that's that's quite often where I'll have something pop off in terms of um, uh, actual action that we can take. You know, I think that's the thing. It's like if, if we don't know how to be a part of the conversation, we have to know how to ignite or start our own conversations. Um, yeah. Like I got, I took a really hard line on vaccines. Cult mother is vehemently pro-vaccine. Um, that. and that, that, yeah and that because I I don't you know that's the way I I want to run my business authentically it's who I am and I had a lot of lashback and so I started a fundraiser for vaccine equity um wow. so the more it's it's about and it, it's that transmutation it's magic that's magic to me the more hate that I got the more I turned <laughs> it into the energy to drive a fundraiser that directly helped to support what it was that these woo-woo Wendy's were so upset about in the first place. It's just, (laughs) it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing, you know? So that's like, if we go, oh my God, I don't know how to talk about this war because I feel like I should be doing something to help and I'm not sure what I'm doing is helping. Do what you want to do and donate a percentage of your profit to people on the ground that are are providing help and resources right now. You know, there's usually a way of like, listening to where you are intuitively and what it is that feels dodgy or uncomfortable or sticky in where you are in it and and finding a way to kind of like yeah transform that into into a different kind of energy or another way of working with it I mean yeah I mean I think that's really good advice um but yeah I just I know a lot of people that were really uh it was very intense for them they just didn't they didn't know where the line was or Mm. if they should even communicate at all actually like actually one of my friends uh who also runs a small business uh, I asked this question actually partially because of her she said oh you have to talk about that on a podcast one day because she (laughs) felt a lot of uh anxiety around it and she just felt like she didn't want to be demonstrative about it because actually I do know for a fact that she has done a lot of things like she has Mm. done a lot of Mm. volunteer work and, and and donations and things like that but she felt uncomfortable talking about through a brand, but she kept asking herself, like, should I communicate or should I not? Like, it was like a real internal battle. And I think it's it's also hard when you're a small business and your business is an extension of maybe just you or maybe two people, like you're a, real, a really small business, right? Where mm. you're not like an entity, it's just mm. you, right? So you feel very vulnerable and you don't want to make a faux pas or something like that. So, I mean, yeah, it's definitely tricky, tricky waters to navigate. <laughs> 
it certainly and I think that's where there's a, there's a really important conversation to be had about where how people choose to run their businesses in terms of branding because unfortunately these days in the world that we live in everyone has a personal brand and and because people are so used to being overly saturated by big companies with big messages they're very very uh discerning People are discerning. And these days they want to know the people behind the product. They want to know the person behind the platform, you know? So I think it's sometimes a bit of a mistake in our apprehension to be seen or perceived in a certain way, just to stay behind the curtain entirely. Because I don't think people have necessarily got a lot of time for anyone trying to pull smoke and mirrors in their Mm. business. And I think the more we kind of show up authentically and say, well, this is who I am. This is what I stand for. And you can align with that. You can get the fuck out, which is very much what I do. I think we, I think we, I think we build more authentic businesses. We create more value in what we do. And I think we give people an opportunity to be genuinely kind of discerning in terms of what is interesting to them and isn't in terms of where they put their money as well. You know, I think, you know, this idea of, I think the vaccine thing is a really good example. I could very easily have been like, Oh, speaking in this way is going to harm my business. And the fact that I could deter these people who may potentially spend money right deter deter them i don't want their money right right i mean yeah because at the end of the day my values and my beliefs exactly exactly my values and my beliefs are the core of what i do and i i i wanted to create a world where i could be in that and embody that entirely and authentically so i'm not gonna i think um we obviously like i said reading the room very important and it's, <laughs> easy, to, it's easy to get it wrong but the minute you're like i'm gonna create this post and then you go, to, you you want to hit go, and then you get that, oh, yeah, but, the oh, yeah, but is always, what are other people going to think? How yeah. is it that people are going to respond to this? You know, and it's like, oh, trust your gut. You've had a lot of uh, interest uh, from the German mainstream media. I press, know, so. I know. Um, <laughs> Crazy. a positive experience for you? Like, did yeah. you like how they portrayed you and and did you feel that that was uh that you were respected in their portrayal totally and i would say it's because i pride myself on having the capacity to surprise people and i do feel that there are i will say deutsche Welle were amazing they were super super positive really lovely really really great to work with um arta as well like i really i a tip it's all been super positive, but it's all because I got to enjoy that moment where people have a preconceived idea and they come to you thinking that they have an angle and then you take their angle and you screw it up into a little ball and you throw it out of a window and you say, this is my house now. <laughs> mm. You know, like it, it, it's not, it hasn't, I've had so many instances with journalists uh, and people that are like, oh, cause obviously, you know, you do this, this and this. And I go, no, no, that's, that's not what I do. You want to know what I do? I'll show you what I do. <laughs> What, what did they think you were doing? You know, you always get that whole thing of, I, I do think like some of the angles that they were trying to take, especially with COVID was that these people are here uh, capitalizing off of people's naivety and insecurity. And they can start with that narrative. But if you actually then get into the brass tacks of what I'm about and what I do and what people get out of it, it's very hard yeah. for you to maintain that perspective. And that's very validating to me, you know, like they'd be like, surely these people are just coming to you because of this, this, this. And I'm like, no, they're not. It's a terrible assumption to make about my clients. How dare you? And they're like, oh, 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 okay. Well then what is going on here? And I go, well, actually it's this. It's people being really courageous and really brave and exploring themselves and facing themselves and living up to their potential. And it's really empowering. It's got nothing to do with me telling people what they should and shouldn't do with their lives. And they're like, then, you, then you're having a good time. 
Yeah, well, it sounds like you almost did a service to the whole community because you basically that, turned the stereotype on its head. So. Thank you. I mean, I, I would never, ever want to position myself in a way where I it was being perceived that I was speaking on behalf of like other people or the community in itself. If anything, I kind of see myself as a bit of a lone wolf to the point I don't think I even really want to continue identifying as a witch. I don't do covens. I'm not like, I'm, I'm a cult leader. I am a complete you know, I, I know the benefit of community. I know I can't do things by myself, but I definitely these days identify more as a magician than a witch. Just because witch is just getting a little insipid. It's just getting mm. a little commercialized. It's a very charged word. Yeah. It's getting a little bit been there, done that, put it on TikTok next, you know? So <laughs> I just, which, yeah, it's just, and it, we see it. It's just the nature of anything being taken as a movement and then neutralized. Um, and, it, you know, if people fiercely identify, that's great, but I'm not sure I ever really have. Um, so I think magician moving forward is more descriptive of the kind of work that I do. Taking one thing and being able to transform it into something else. You recently published an article on Medium. I didn't know that that was another thing you did in, in your in your wheelhouse and multiple skills. But yeah, I read your article and it was kind of like a almost about a, a your breakup with Berlin and why mm. you're leaving after all these years. And I was very moved by it because I found it to be very relatable because you really quite poetically described everything that is both beautiful and difficult about this city at the same time. But how was it for you making this decision to leave? Incredibly difficult. And I'm still in the midst of that at the moment. I am a great believer as we, you know, learn through working with Taro that everything is continually moving in phases. We begin, we grow, we shed, and we crucially start again. And I just felt like I'd started to stagnate here a little bit. Um, and I know that I, I can feel this pull um and I feel like I've been fighting it for a while as well and I can't completely know where it is I'm headed it's very key 10 it's very wheel of fortune for me right now but allowing the spin <laughs> of the wheel and being prepared to go with the flow and hold some faith that whatever the next phase holds it's what is in alignment for me is kind of the big challenge right now it's the work of all of our lives it really is, is to allow things to move and to shift and to change and to right. relinquish the grip and the control. Um, and it is hard. It's hard. Yeah. It's so easy to say, well, I have my apartment and I have the business and I do lots of event work here. And it's like, if I'm honest, everything feels as if it's finally exactly where I wanted it to be, which is also in my experience when I find the universe will throw a curveball in there for you just to keep right. you on your toes and to keep you growing, you know? So yeah, it's a surrender it's definitely a spiritual thing as well. Like it's a, it is about me. It's about my work. It's about the environment I want to be in to continue to nurture myself um, in that process. Very kind of queen of cups, which I hate. Well, how do you see? <laughs> <laughs> oh God, so gross. <laughs> but So how do you see the cult fitting into that? Because in a way it is good that now that you, you kind of have it, this th thing that's established being a Patreon and it's mm -hmm. like a portable business in a way, you know? Yeah. So do you see that wherever you go, obviously the cult goes and it, and will do, do you think it'll have an impact on it? Do you think it'll shift how you run it or this is such, How do you such an important question and it's something I really want to explore through my work over maybe even the next year and it's something that ultimately comes down and this is to do with cult mother now it's to do with my brand exactly as you've just asked 
how long is cool a currency, right? And how, how important is where you live, what you wear, uh, this whole idea of branding? How important is that when it comes down to the kind of work that I do or the importance or the value of the work that I do? You know, it's it, the cult ultimately is international. I've got people from all over the world, Australia, Canada, UK, Europe, they're me, I'm them. They will come with me everywhere. And I couldn't be more grateful for that. If I wanted to uproot and go to Portland tomorrow, I'd know people there through my work and the business. It's amazing. Um, but I do see this move as an opportunity to really test the stability of what I've built to test the authenticity of the work that I do, because you can either look at me and cult mother and say, the value I've built is in my brand and the way I talk about things or, you know, the leather jacket and the dyed black hair. And, or it's in, like I said, that magic that is created between me and a another person when I sit down with my tarot cards. And that's the only magic that I really want to be involved with long-term that I think is sustainable and is important and where I want my attention to go. So some part of the move from Berlin comes with fear that I'm like, yeah, but based in Berlin is so cool. And I'm like, well, what if we let that go? What if we let all of that go and see what's really underneath? That would be cool. <laughs> Well, to go back to your your Ziggy Stardust, David Bowie, and yeah. who who also lived in Berlin. Totally. Um, I mean, he also had that evolution where there came a point where he was no longer the persona; he was just David Bowie, and he exactly. he himself realized he didn't need all of that to yeah. be appreciated. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 weird because like she cult mother protects me. But there is also, you know, David Bowie said at a point, I think it was like he had Ziggy Stardust for like a year. It was like a, this amazing project created like a, it, it didn't actually land initially. It took a while, like, but <laughs> everyone, everyone was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. But then, you know, as he observed and so many of, of people do when you create an alter ego or persona, he, he felt that people saw him more as this character that he'd created and all of these spiders from Mars and this entire world that he bought us. And it is so beautiful, but, uh, and he worried that he would get lost in it. It's just where I'm at at the moment. So do you too. think that leaving Berlin is part of you also yes. maybe not wanting to get lost in cult mother? <laughs> yes. Yeah, 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 totally. It's also, I'll put it this way. I had a, I had a reading with Leticia uh, yesterday, actually about this whole topic of leaving and moving. And I had the death card reversed. I don't read reversals. If you want to know about reversals, go to Leticia. Um, <laughs> and she just said, as someone who's lived in Berlin and left Berlin as well, Berlin is ultimately an amazing place to watch anything die. People, people, it's, uh, you know, transitory, like people come here, they go, they stay, they go, people come, they change, they leave. Um, people come, well, they stay the and they build a the life city here. Too. Totally. Totally. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's built into the streets and the buildings and there's history, that history. Exactly. Is, is exactly. Like, tangible. Totally, totally. And I, and I just think that this whole idea, I'm going to, I'm going to leave like 10 years to the day since I arrived, keeping it 100. I've got a Leo stellium. No one is surprised by this. Okay. Like I, I picked the 3rd of September because it will be exactly 10 years, but talking about that spin of the wheel, this kind of like, nice. Uh, I always felt that the Berlin story for me had a beginning and a middle, but I didn't know the end. And now I feel like I do. And it's, Aww. it's making an active decision to release and let go which is what death gives us you cannot have what's new without allowing something to end and I feel like the ending that I need to allow now is just releasing the hold that this city has had on me 
uh, especially in terms of the need to create a particular character or a persona to survive here, you know? Right. Before we go, though, I want you to tell me about this space. Um, tell me about this space. I'm so excited. Because I, I just feel like we've been talking about this idea of how we take things offline and really get back to our own communities. And something that really excites me about that is this idea of brick and mortar spaces with real people, uh, real tools and real magic. And I think that's something you've clearly gotten a hold of. I actually think somebody told me, a friend of mine who's also a tarot reader, that the Wheel of Fortune was one of my personal cards for this mm. year. He studies a lot of numerology. And I definitely feel like that's the case for me. Like, I think 2021, like for a lot of people, myself included, was incredibly difficult and just felt like one setback and challenge and difficulty after another. Whereas I feel like this year has really been more about, yeah, the wheel setting in motion and a lot of change. And as you mentioned, uncomfortable change, even sometimes, mm -hmm. because even if you like change, it could still be uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but no, it's super exciting. Cause I mean, we always had the intention of having a physical shop, um, mm. but because of COVID that was completely derailed like yeah, we actually founded kismet in january 2020 i started looking for shops in march 2020 and then we went into lockdown i was like eh, i don't think this yeah. is such a good idea um and then we yeah we had to go online to survive basically but like i really feel like it, 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 what i wanted to do it was always something that was more community based like i wanted mm. something that would be like a spiritual hub or like a place that people could go where they felt included or that you know they didn't feel judged because i also feel like in the esoteric community or like the, the woo wendy's as you said the woo sphere yeah they can be very judgmental and they can make it, people feel like if they're not like if they haven't fully drank the Kool-Aid or something, or like if they're not adhering to a certain set of rules and spells or something like that, then that they can't practice these things or they, you know, so I, because I, I myself have always felt like I have a very kind of mixed approach to spirituality. And so yeah. I wanted to make a place that everybody felt included, whether they, this is something that they were really adept at or they were just dipping their toe in for the first time. Amazing. I honestly think Berlin has been crying out for <laughs> a really great space that just sells really good decks, books and other tools of the trade. Uh, so I think it will be, I think we're really, really exciting. It's, um, it's baffling to me how we don't have, you know, like how London has Treadwell's bookshop, you know, Atlantis, like these iconic places in terms of kind of esoteric occult spiritual practice and then being exactly yeah. as you've described very open to everyone and intriguing and interesting if you know nothing but also amazing hubs for practitioners or more experienced or practice people to come together buy the things they need have the conversations they want to have like the fact that Berlin doesn't really have that um I yeah. don't get it so I think it will yeah. be <laughs> kismet is an ancient word that exists in many languages and means fate or destiny so we ask all of our guests do you believe in fate no i think you know key one the magician teaches us that we are the architects of our own destiny um i think that there is an amazing underlying uh creative force or energy you can call it god you can call it the universe you can call it nature you can call it whatever you like so you can be comfortable um, but spirituality ultimately is just the acceptance of the fact that there is something bigger than you. Do I think that that means there's predeterminism? Not necessarily. I see it like a current. I think you can tap into it. I think you can work with it. And I think you can do make 
create incredible things. Uh, but do I believe that it's lays in front of us? Uh, not necessarily. It's like the way I work. I don't think that, you know, the future lies in front of me as a long straight highway for me to drive down. I think there's going to be twists and turns and there's going to be choices and there's going to be decisions to make. So from that perspective, I'm, I'm kind of the architect, but I can only do it if I'm in creative collaboration with that kismet or source or current or you know I I'm not the creator I'm not the maker of the magic I just get to work with it if I can keep mm. myself in the right condition to do so and that's a whole another topic for another day <laughs> where <laughs> well since you've erased your Instagram now where what's the best way no it's find? there I've literally just logged in and posted a picture of Ziggy Stardust like I was like I'm living for an orange mullet moment right now and I've just posted it with who the fuck is cult mother and a load of garble about what what it is I'm up to right now and what I, I don't know what I'm up to right now I don't know the cool thing about periods of transformation is that they're hideously uncomfortable and you will have no idea yeah. what you're doing like, like such is the nature of any kind of evolution um so you can follow me on instagram it's cult mother taro c-u-l-t no not taro t-a-double-r-o or taro's with an s on the end or an underscore or one it's just cult mother taro and i have my website cultmothertaro.com where you can also find links of how to join the cult um, which gives you access to all of the events and the workshops that i run on a monthly basis as well as our discord which is kind of like cult mother hq it's like a hangout like a chat room. Do you have a chat rooms? Thank you, Hannah, for being on the show. This show was produced, recorded, and edited in Berlin, Germany by me, Joey. Check out our website to find a magical selection of consciously sourced crystals, indie tarot and oracle cards, handmade jewelry, and natural candles and incense. You can find us at kismetberlin.com, that is K-I-S-M-E-T, B-E-R-L-I-N.com, as well as on Instagram and TikTok at Kismet Berlin, all in one word. Music is by Tobu, and the track is entitled Sapphire. Thanks for listening, and stay mystically curious. (laughs) 